Welcome to Shrink for the Shy Guy. This is the show for you if you are sick and tired of being held back by fear, self-doubt, social anxiety, shyness, anything that's stopping you from you being you. I'm going to share the most powerful tools and resources that I've been discovering over the last 15 years on my journey to eradicate social anxiety and instill confidence, first in myself and then in every single person that I meet on my journey. You're going to learn these tools and how to apply them in your life now so that you can become the most free, powerful, bold, authentic version of you. Welcome to today's episode of the show. Today you are in for a treat. We have one of the best interviews that I've had the privilege of being a part of and, and learning from this person uh, that I just cannot wait to share with you. What we're really going to get into in this episode is about the two steps, the two pieces of the puzzle to truly access and reside in self-love, which is a topic, as you know, that I'm a huge fan of. I just released On My Own Side about a month and a half ago. And I, you know, it's funny in the beginning of the interview, she's like, well, you wrote a book on it. So, you know, we'll see if there's anything new that comes out. And I just laugh because I know with the years of experience she has that I knew I was going to learn something. And I sure did. And we both share authentically and vulnerably. That's one of her strengths and mine as well. So it's a very real and touching interview. And I, and I hope you'll learn a lot more about how to really master this process of self-love. And I absolutely love her capacity to articulate you know, why we turn on ourselves, where it came from, why we're doing it. It's just so concise, so good. I'm just like, that's that's a master at work. Um, so let me let me introduce her and then we're going to dive into the interview. Um, but her name is Dr. Susan Campbell. She's a psychologist and worked as a corporate trainer and relationship coach for 55 years. She's been doing this a long time and it shows when she shares. Just brilliant set of insights and not only just what she's learned through her academics and years of work with clients, but her own self-growth is really unparalleled. It's, it's beautiful to listen to. She's a former professor at the University of Massachusetts. She's the author of 11 books on the topic of relationships and human communication. Her most recent work centers on how to use honest, present-centered communication as a vehicle for personal healing and expanded self-awareness. And she has books ranging from Getting Real, which is one I've often recommended on the show. I was a big fan of that book. When I first discovered it, I found it just totally just relationship transforming for me. It's like, oh my God, I could actually speak what's going on. And here's how to do it. Brilliant book. Truth in Dating. I absolutely love that one as well. Saying What's Real and The Five-Minute Relationship Repair. Her work has been shared all over the place in media and magazines, including Psychology Today, New Woman, Self, Harvard Business Review, Fast Company, Yoga Journal. She's been on CNN, Good Morning America, and The Dean Adele Show. She's been on so many different media outlets because her advice is really brilliant. So I feel fortunate and grateful to have Susan Campbell with us here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Susan Campbell. I'm glad to be here. I always love talking to you, Dr. Aziz. Yes, and uh, I know that I and and everyone listening, we're gonna we'll learn a lot because you have a lot of experience, a lot of wisdom, and a lot of years working with people in the trenches and seeing what actually works, what helps people shift, change, and grow, and what you do with people. You might not necessarily categorize as confidence work, but it is directly related to confidence. Being able to speak more authentically, share more openly and honestly. And know how to do that skillfully uh, is just one of the 
uh, tools that you help people develop. But, you know, one thing I thought would be really interesting to talk with you today about is this this whole idea of being on our own sides, uh, self-acceptance versus not liking ourselves, uh, feeling embarrassed or ashamed. Because many years ago, when I read your book about how to express yourself uh, fully and authentically, and you know, getting real was that was the name of the book. And if anyone who has not read that book, I would highly recommend that. It really opened up the door for me to be able to start to communicate more authentically. You know what I realized is what what stopped me from doing it was one not having the words, not knowing what to say, but another thing was just a lot of shame, uh, saying what I wanted, saying what I didn't want, uh, asking for something. And what I realized looking back uh, at it now is like, wow, I was really not on my own side. I, I was really had so much judgment of myself. And so I thought that would be a great place to start. You know, when you're helping people uh, get more real and communicate more fully and expressively, uh, how do you see that turning on themselves or not being on their own sides? How does that play a part in us being more uh, authentic communicators? Well, let me say something about uh, things like uh, shame and fear of rejection because most of us have some, some of that inside of ourselves. Here's, here's the, base, the basic, natural, healthy way an organism organizes their, their reality. You want something, and you take action on that want. And when you take action on that want, whoever you wanted it from, they either say yes or no. To put it simply, so this is like a universal human dilemma is, first of all, when you're very, very young, you're open about your wants. You just reach out and scream and holler, and the environment either says yes or no. And the more times your real needs get frustrated, it builds tenderness in your system because there's pain there that you very often were not nurtured to fully process when you're like a little baby. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of unprocessed pain and I'm going to say baby feelings that need somebody to go, oh honey, let me hug you, let me hold you, let me give you the space to have that hurt feeling that you know later on becomes associated with rejection and you get enough nose and you start to think you're trying to make sense out of your world you know i'm trying to show how developmentally we come to turn against ourselves mm. uh, the basic idea is early relationships fed us and we need them for our very survival and yet those same early relationships often caused us pain that we don't even remember now mm -hmm. but our our biology remembers it and a certain certain neural pathways it, inside inside of the emotional centers of the brain they remember so you know you talk you talk about like the fear of going after your wants in a very healthy organism it should be very easy i feel a want I take action on my want and I get a yes or a no and then whatever I feel, I feel. But the part about 
getting a no and getting a lot of no's for your very basic child, childhood core needs, like the need to be held, the need to be told that you're wanted, you're valuable, you're such a great kid, I want to hang out with you. You know, these are, these are really basic needs that a lot of parents are too busy or too distracted or, or too emotionally damaged themselves to be present for those needs. And then certainly they're not going to be present for the child who's crying after getting a no or getting some kind, some kind of frustration. The child cries and cries, and often the parent, when the child is in pain like that and showing it, actually makes the parent uncomfortable. So then you start to feel shame. You start to feel there's something wrong with me if I'm in pain. Mm. Then you start to develop all these defenses against taking risks. So this is, we're talking about social confidence here. But what I want to do is start to develop some empathy for the really little person that's inside of you that did not get all their developmental needs met. And so for all of us, um, we can help each other heal in our adult relationships. That is, that is where I want to get to in this interview with you, Aziz. Mm. The first step, and that's hard for a lot of us because we don't have memories of any of this. Maybe, you know, my parents are pretty great, but my mother wasn't able to nurse me. And there was some rejection at, a, at an age that was ve very hard for me to remember. You know, so that's my story. You can read about it in the book, Getting Real. But I grew up deathly afraid of asking for what I want or having wants. Uh, so you, you and I probably have a lot in common here. You know? mm. But I went over the top. I, I learned to go over the top of my fears. So that's my, you know, my story is, is a little different. And I'm, I'm, I'm not going to touch on that right this minute. But the main point is that it's hard for us to realize that our basic developmental needs were not met. And there's some healing that needs to be done in almost all of us. And yeah. it, admitting that uh, it, can, it can cause a kind of shame, but I want us to get sober around the fact that, you know, we all need some healing and there's two places we can get healing from ourselves and from other, other people. And that's what you and I are going to be talking more about today is how to, how to get that healing. Mm. I love that. And I think that was an extremely articulate and concise like narrative of the origins of our pain. As, as you were sharing, I, I have a chapter in the book on, on my own side called Origins. Mm -hmm. And I was like, dang, we could sum up that whole chapter and what you just said in about three minutes there. And that's oh, it's so good. spot on. And, and I think uh, what you're describing is totally true. I've seen this. This was definitely my path. And I see this with a lot of mm -hmm. clients. There is a kind of default resistance to that my childhood affected me, that it still does, that I have this inside of me. And that resistance can show up in all kinds of ways, you know, especially in men, it can show up as kind of a dismissive, like, oh, is this that inner child stuff? Is this, is this, you know, I don't have time for that. That sounds so weak. You know, there's that kind of dismissal response. And other times it's more of like a, I don't know what you're talking about. My childhood was fine story. And I really fell into that second camp um, that everything was fine. And, and what we find is when we start to probe, you know, as you said, it's, it's not, uh, 
necessarily these like overt aggressions and these horrible experiences. It's a lot of micro moments that we don't consciously remember. And for me, what was a real turning point was when I got to observe my parents with my children uh, and their grandchildren yeah. and, and really see some patterns. Of, and they love, uh, they love me and my brother. They love their grandkids. And you and have so loving parents like I did. Yes. Right. And it's, so it's not a lack of love. It, it's a lack of um, emotional awareness and sensitivity to these little things and, and, and maybe curiosity or receptivity to become more aware of these things. And sort of like, this is how I do it. And this is why I do it my way. And, and, and watching it, it's like, oh, oh, that must be what happened to me. No wonder I felt this ache for something. No wonder I, I have these needs. And so I love what you're saying. Totally relate. I'm sure everyone listening relates to, if they're not aware of those experiences, they're feeling the results right now, which is that discomfort with going after what we want, uh, shame about having wants, and a bunch of strategies to protect ourselves from taking risks. So we're 100% with you. Uh, let's look at how does this turning against ourselves, like what have you seen yeah. it manifest as? Yeah. So uh, I mentioned a minute ago, I'll start with me. I, I mentioned a minute ago that um, because it was hard for me to, um, well, it was impossible for me to deal with the level of frustration that I experienced as a tiny person, you know, before, and my mother probably didn't even know that I was experiencing that. It was just like, she couldn't nurse me and I'm sucking trying to get milk and her milk's not coming down. It was that sort of a thing. So, um, you know, that's very early and, um, you know, extremely scary for a little one. But what my defense mechanism was like the men that you were mentioning, you know, oh, I'm tough. So I grew up to be a tough little kid. And basically, even in my adult relationships, at least during my 20s, my husband's joke was Susan has no needs, you know, because mm. I was, I have no needs. What can I do for you kind of thing? And I became mm. a people helper and so forth. And of course, later on, I realized that try this one on helpfulness. That is my my M.O. in life is to be helpful. Helpfulness is projected helplessness. In other words, I was completely denying the part of myself that needed help and just mm. putting it on other people. So can I, can, can we yeah. unpack that one just for a yeah, second? Cause yeah. I think it's a really powerful concept. So yeah. helpfulness is projected helplessness. And, uh, is there a, uh, a bounds in which helpfulness is not that where helpfulness might be coming from some other desire? Or would you say it's oh, yeah. universally that, or only when it gets extreme, only and only only when it's completely one-sided mm. it's like one-sided uh, out of balance helpfulness mm -hmm. uh, so i wouldn't say i mean certainly when you have an abundance of love in your life you want to give to others you want to share it and you know i think both you and i have gotten to more to that place in our lives now and i just feel like i i, I don't even worry about whether it's giving or receiving. Uh, I just love connecting, mm. just exchanging with people. But when I say projected helplessness, a lot of us don't want to feel the helpless little baby inside who totally needs other people, who's mm. dependent. Dependency is a, tr is a truly universal thing. We do need other people 
to a degree. And when I say dependency, I don't mean, you know, we need somebody to be our mommy, but we need other people to feel, um, to, 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 to feel ourselves. Part of the self is, is a reflection of, of what's going on in your relationships. So if you're totally isolated from people, you're going to, you know, you're going to be really uh, living with a deficit of your whole human potential. So that's pretty obvious that we need others. Mm -hmm. But I want to get back to some of the ways that we turn against ourselves because um, one, you know, one is denying, is denying that we even have needs. So that, that's one being that tough, strong, silent type, whatever it is. And, you know, I used to be that, but uh, you know, there's a lot of ways in which people cover over or criticize themselves for being needy you know the inner mm-hmm. the inner critic who says you know I, you know needy there's something wrong if you're needy and there's an awful lot of social pressure to not be too needy in the yeah. in the dating world for women especially but but it's even more true for men you know don't be needy heaven forbid and that that little rule that we put on ourselves I don't want to criticize that little rule. In my work, I call these things control patterns, you know, uh, an inner rule that protects you, or maybe an inner rule that uh, says, oh, I couldn't just go up and talk to a woman and and if I didn't have a good uh, script and know exactly what I was going to say, I couldn't just say, hey, I noticed you and um, I wanted to... have a conversation and now I don't even know what I want to talk about but I just know I want to have a conversation (laughs) I mean I try to help people have those kind of of interchanges um, yeah which end up being way more interesting and enlivening than any scripted conversation ever would be yeah yeah but some people will have a rule you know don't start a conversation or don't speak up in a group unless you have a pretty significant, important thing to say. So all these little rules protect us from rejection, protect us from other people criticizing or judging us and maybe judging ourselves. But my little introduction there about the wounds of childhood is meant to give us a context. So here's what I want to say to our audience is those little rules are there for good reason to protect you from actual pain that you felt at some point in your past. <laughs> and so if you just say, okay, get rid of that rule or go over the top of that rule and say, oh, no, just take risks and go up to somebody and, um, you know, go ahead and be tongue-tied. Well, you know, if you, if, if you give up your, your rules without attending to the reason you have them, you know, the protection of your tenderness, you could re-traumatize yourself. You could stand there and stammer on a date. I mean, I want people to take risks, but I want to also have people be more sensitive to their actual feelings about what's this risk you're about to take and how does it feel? And if you have a, a you know, chronic fear of something, then that's that should be an area of self-curiosity like what is going on there gee i always start to freeze at 
X episode, X type of situation. What I want you to take a guess about is that there's some tender feelings that just need to be attended to a tiny bit. Aziz, we don't need to do a whole big, oh, my wounded child, and oh, I'm, I'm here for you in a big speech or anything. What I've found, I, I try to help people, just pause when you start to feel frozen in a mm. situation. Or I even work with trial lawyers who will get frozen in front of the judge and jury, you know. <laughs> that's, a, that's a real no-no in their profession, but they're human. So they can learn to just one little pause that's hardly noticeable to your audience where you just take a breath and you either silently, you know, metaphorically or actually physically, maybe touch your heart or touch your belly. It's a way of going, oh, I know that there's some frozen feelings down there. There's some feelings that never got attended to by a self I mean by a reassurance you couldn't self reassure when you're tiny you mm -hmm. needed a you needed what we call co-regulation you needed someone to love you and reassure you that you're safe if you're crying and you're afraid of some need not being met or you're afraid you did something wrong cuz somebody yelled at you we need tender loving care around having pain around that because what we got, the idea back then was, the wrong idea, was if I'm in pain, there's something bad or wrong about me. Mm -hmm. And that's a very early origin of, of a kind of shame. And there's absolutely nothing wrong when you're in pain. It's just that no one was fully present or maybe they were uncomfortable with your crying or something, adults. So you didn't have anyone hold space for you. So... What I guide people is just hold a little space for yourself in, in the moments that you feel fear. Or if you are in a court of law and you, you have to kind of act over the top of it sometimes, uh, pretend it's not happening. That's what I mean there. After you can breathe, after you can go to the bathroom and take a few breaths and the case is, is either won or lost in the courtroom and you can go, okay, now I can attend to that little seven-year-old who used to stutter in school and the teacher was relentless with that little kid and all the feel, feelings and fears. So you just give it a little, little tender loving care to yourself. So to mm. me, that needs to be in a, unfortunately, it's, it's kind of socially awkward <laughs> to figure out, well, how do I do that in a normal conversation? But the ability to admit these things to yourself that you do need some healing is, um, I mean, that's the most self-loving and self-supporting thing I think anyone can do for themselves. And the reason, my, my evolutionary reason that I, that I make up, you know, to help, I think humans are here to evolve and grow and heal. Okay, so, and so the reason we have so much pain and stress in our adult human relationships, especially love relationships, is so that, a light can be shined on where you need to heal. Because then once you do that healing, you understand the process of healing. You have way more love and compassion in your heart for the world, for others. And maybe there's hope for us to become 
a truly healing community, the world as healing community, because that's that's my vision. Mm. I love that. I love we can talk more about that that vision um, a little bit later. I would love to hear more about that. And something you said in there, though, I think is so important is is giving space to that that part of us. And and yet you also said earlier that we often don't consciously remember the specific events. Uh, so maybe we don't remember that the reason I'm scared now is because something happened when I was seven. So but what what people are aware of, if they slow down and pause, is that there's the that pain in their heart or their for me it's it can be very somatic you know it's like oh there's an ache in my chest or a, mm. a squeezing or something like that uh how do you suggest that when that holding the space for it is it just being with the physical sensations is it uh, being open and curious about any past memories that might arise what do you suggest to, if we're willing to turn towards ourselves uh that we do oh well if you're in a safe place and you're either alone or with a trusted partner or friend, then I, I would ask you to like create a safe place for yourself to be. And actually the friend is just a witness, so just a, 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 co, a co-space holder for you. Because what, sure. what you're really doing is holding space for yourself. But you start with whatever you are able to feel. And sometimes... It's a body sensation, like you mentioned. Sometimes it's one of the most common body sensations is some kind of freeze, deer in the headlights, not knowing what to do, just kind of going a little bit blank. So, you know, you, you start back with what that was and just allow your um, heart to soften, your breathing to become a little more conscious and full because that actually creates an internal sense of safety. Okay, I am safe here. So doing some conscious breathing, sometimes you even count the breaths, four in, four out, whatever it takes to become more present to yourself. And then it's kind of like a suggestion, a self-suggestion. I am, I am safe here and I am holding space for whatever arises in me. And so you start with maybe it's a sensation or maybe it's a picture of the other person giving you an ugly look, even though they didn't give you an ugly look. Maybe it's, you know, it's some imaginary thing, in other words. And so whatever or it could could be it could be an emotion. It could be a familiar emotion like um, it can still be it could come out as anger, even though it's fear underneath, like fear of rejection. You know, people will have anger, like I'm angry. I'm angry at women. I'm angry at men for hurting me. I'm angry at people. So it can, it can, it has layers to it, is what I'm trying to suggest. So it could start with anything. Once you pause, you're just like watching a movie, and you're curious about, well, what, what's going to happen next in this movie? But the movie is, is your internal um, responses. As they as they come and flow, so feelings, mm. sensations, uh, thoughts can can take you there, and sometimes you'll have a thought like um, like she doesn't like me, they don't like me, some some thought like that, and and it might bring up a memory. So sometimes if you sit with your feelings, they will bring up 
old memories that are kind of similar to what you're feeling now. But don't try for anything. Just kind mm. of be open because what's ready to come up will come up. And you need to do these little sessions with yourself many, many times mm -hmm. if you really yeah. want to heal. Yes. Yes, I, I love what you're sharing. And that's really what I discovered on my journey and now what I teach people to do is there's the there's like it's like two sides of of the of the process and you know and maybe almost like uh yin and yang or masculine and feminine it's like one is like the courage and the boldness to to leap to act to approach to not just be stuck underneath the story of i can't and it won't and um and yet if we just try to do that as you said we could try to we could just pummel ourselves um we could uh, or we could be doing, we could be taking action and, and experiencing results. And that's what I did early on, but we're not at peace inside. There's still so much fear about the next action. And the next time is because there's still so much concern about re-experiencing these things. And so I found this, this beautiful dance between action and then inward healing and feeling and loving and acknowledging. And then, okay, now I'm, now I'm solid again let's do yeah. some more action and it's yeah. just back and forth dancing sometimes <laughs> i work with clients that i can just kind of see where they are it's like okay you need more of the action and you you know you're you think you need more action what you need is to do this and what's amazing is i find people uh some people just take to it right away and some people will will really fight what you're describing and uh it takes this deep commitment this deep willingness this hunger to say i, I really want to feel better i really want to have more peace and and enjoy myself more and then there's this p tipping point i think where people are really ready to go in and and not just kind of do it with uh okay okay uh, i'll pay attention to this is it gone yet but but really right. really move towards that part of ourselves and i love what you're saying because i feel like if we wake up in that way um then we can really heal and and i'll share one more thing about this which is uh, when I first learned this kind of stuff, I, I think I was coming at it with, from a very man fix it <laughs> action oriented, like, okay, how many minutes do I need to sit here till I solve this problem? And what I would find is time became irrelevant. I could sit with the feeling and try to be with it for 20 minutes for an hour and it wouldn't really resolve. And, and when it shifted, and I have a chapter in the book called show me everything you got is when I was going for this run. And I've been feeling this persistent feeling in my heart of, of heartache and grasping and grieving. And I didn't know it, but it was just my whole years of childhood of these, this desire for connection with my family, emotional depth, connection with my, with my dad that was being really awoken with my own children. You know, uh, and as they went through those ages, I felt so much my own childhood. And I would spend this time, I was like, okay, I'm going to be with this feeling. Is it gone yet? Is it gone yet? And then one day I was going for this long run and the feeling was just, you know, it was there every morning. It was persistent. And I was feeling it, waiting for it to go away yet again. And then just something inside of me snapped. And I said, show me. Show me everything you got. Oh. And then there was this flood of memories, of feeling. And I just kept like, show me. Show me more. And it really was a turning point. And then what amazed me is how quickly things moved then how much I was able to heal, how much more peace I experienced, and then sitting with it for a shorter period of time, you know, five, 10 minutes, and I'd feel so much better. Whereas before, no matter how many hours I spent, because I was in opposition to it. 
And when we really open in that way, it, it, we are truly soothing ourselves. We're really uh, self-assuring, reassuring ourselves, as you're describing. And it's a, and it's a beautiful process. Yeah, and uh, there's a chapter, actually a couple chapters in my book, Five Minute Relationship Repair, where I guide people through the steps of starting with an emotionally triggering incident, you know, one that brings up one of those core fears, like fear of abandonment, fear of rejection, not, not good enough, those fears. Start with the incident, and then it guides you through all these steps, holding space for yourself. And the reason what you said and, and this compassionate self-inquiry practice that I teach in the book, the reason those things work is because you're becoming more familiar with the territory of emotional pain. You're not running away from it anymore. And then you are just naturally more resilient when emotional pain comes up. And you can take more and bigger risks when you're not living your whole life in fear of emotional pain. It's logical, mm-hmm. but it's, it's it, you know logical to the reasoning mind as you and I are talking. But as you said, there's also the biological urge to avoid pain, including emotional pain. And so it does, you know, that instruction that we're giving people, either give me all you got or, you know, be with this and then be with that. And then, you know, keep being with things as, as they come up from your subconscious we can we can uh, guide people that way, but there needs to be an intention. Like you, you know, you intentionally said something to yourself. It's almost like there needs to be a conscious part of yourself that is holding space for a less conscious part of yourself, and that mm. that's a hard thing for a lot of people to get. It's almost like at times when you're triggered. Once you can calm your nervous system down a little bit, uh, then you do need to bring in kind of a dual awareness. There's me nurturing me. There's me, big self, nurturing my little self. Or little isn't necessarily the right word, but that tender part of me that never even was seen or recognized when I was tiny. And I, I haven't been seeing it myself either, like like you and I both. You know, we were pretty successful as young adults. You know, I mean, my strategies worked pretty well, like yours did. But there was there was a big part of my humanness missing, and my heart missing, and everything. Yeah, yeah. There's a limit, and it sort of it works until it doesn't, and then right. and then we need to we need to grow. And, um, and you know, life gives you a challenging relationship that forces you. And in your case, having kids, you know, a relationship that forces you to confront more of life than you've had to confront before. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this is inspiring me because I so you talk about, you know, relationships being one of those big sources. And I find that for me, that the two biggest um, things that can stir up the need for growth is going to be, you know, relationships that could be romantic as well as family or with my children. And then the other thing is, is work and career. And there's just an endless opportunity. It's an open field to see how much do you want to stretch and test yourself and, and risk and grow. And I've noticed that, uh, in the last year of my life, I've been more and more mission driven, um, less about like, okay, how do I secure myself and get my needs met? And, support my family. Uh, that's obviously part of it. Mm. But then it's like, okay, 
what do I want to, and that's why I'm so curious to, to circle back uh, to yeah. your, to your vision is like, what do I want to do here? How do I want to make the world better for me having been here for my children, for, for people, for the planet. And with that, as I really listen to that call, it, it involves doing things that are more outside my comfort zone, including expanding the team of people that I work with so we can reach more people, doing, you know, interacting ways that I have not, um, training myself to learn more about business and marketing and how to, you know, spread the word, all that stuff. And with that has come more of a full risk of like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go for it. I'm not going to just try to play it small and make sure I got my needs met. I'm going to, I'm going to go for it. And that might mean, you know, of a business, if there's loss in the business finances or that sort of thing, but I'm, I'm going to go for it because I believe in this mission. And so I've been doing that a lot more in the last year. And I noticed my, my practice has been that there's a part inside of there that is like anti-risk, anti-business risk, anti-putting myself out there, and especially the financial side of it. It just mm. has a huge tantrum in there that is like even the smallest decisions around that is like, I don't like it, I don't like it, and I've been making small ones and big ones, whether it's hiring somebody or investing in a training or taking on some new marketing initiative. Uh, it That part will just, every step of the way, kicking and screaming. And as we're talking... This is so good for me. I'm realizing I think I've been doing the same thing with that part this last year that I was doing with the part that was feeling childhood stuff where I'm like, okay, okay, very good, very good. I'm going to listen to you for a little bit. Okay, yes, yes, you don't like these risks. I understand. I'm here. I'm here. I got you. All right, now move out of the way. (laughs) We're going to go take some more risk. And um, I'm I'm really curious about that uh, because it seems like it's a fear about finances. But as we're talking, I'm like, I think... It's, it's really a fear of emotional pain and it makes me really curious about what, you know, what I learned, what I experienced around financial risk and loss. So my question in there is, do you think that the, the, that what we're looking for is really about like, would it be something around finances and finances, my family, or could it be any, uh, going after what I want, any risk that I have control patterns that I'm trying to avoid and, and, and what I'm looking for could be irrelevant to finances in terms of that underlying pain. Well, I, I love this conversation because you, you know, you're kind of at my edge too here. I don't have a quick answer to um, what this could be, but um, I, I think one, one analogy that you made one parallel between like other relationships and taking big risks in business you mentioned going after what you want. So yeah, a lot of a lot of us make up reasons like, oh, well, I don't I don't want to risk the money when really you don't want to risk failure. Rich mm. with that same experience that I was saying is sort of the basic template of what a healthy human organism does. It comes up with a want, it takes action toward the want, and it either gets a yes or a no from the world. So I think we're probably all of all of us averse to hearing a no. And in this case, it's a no from the world, not not from the woman you want a second date with, you know, for a lot of our listeners. So I, I, I love that you, you know, that you bring it to this level. I, I want to add something from my own story, which is I've got some similarities to you because I have been averse to putting a whole lot of money 
into my business um, or anything or anything really. I mean, any other investments too. It's like um, my explanation up until this conversation, and I might change my mind about this. My explanation has been, I've got survival issues. Susan still has the little baby might die issues. You know, she Mm. doesn't get food. And I've had patterns where, you know, I've never been fat, but I've had patterns where I always keep food in my car. I never want to be without food. I also never want to be without probably a hundred thousand dollars in a, in a bank account. You know, if I would go below that, I would get anxious. Mm. You know, I mean, so all I know about myself is that it, 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 I, t- the way I've explained it prior to this conversation, and I think I'm going to try on your interpretation there. It might be just that fear of, of hearing a no from the world that I'm, that I'm covering up here. Mm. Um, but for me, I, up till now, as I said, I haven't thought this through at all, but my, quick answer about myself was I associate money with survival way too much. I do not trust the world. These are, you know, these are core beliefs that have not um, completely gone away in my whole long lifetime of doing personal growth. I do not trust the world to really take care of me. I've got to, it's like, I've got to do it myself. There's mm-hmm. nothing I can depend on. So I still have um, dependency fears that I've never, let's say I've never healed. Mm. About all I could say, you know, I'll just admit it. I'll probably I, die. I'll die with this, this issue. But you've got me thinking now about myself. Yeah, and I and I love that, and I love your your honesty. I always have, and and your self reflectiveness, and mm-hmm. and as you're saying that, I I I think that's that's exactly what it is as it, at its core for me as well. Is this this well? First of all some part of me rationally knows that, you know, me or my family starving, uh, you know, barring some sort of total apocalypse or something, but just because of my own lack of ability to, you know, make ends meet is very, 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 very unlikely. Right. I know that even no matter what happens, I'll find a way and, and be able to do that. So really the biggest threat is that failure is that no, is that here's what I went for and I didn't. And it's like this ego, bruising, ego loss, ego death of if I don't make it. And what I see underneath that though, Mm. is this core question of, am I held? Can I trust in life, in the universe, in God and whatever force is there that I will be okay? And I feel like that's been the, it looks like it's a business inquiry or in a risk or an investment inquiry, but it's really a trust inquiry. And it's something that I was like, man, I want to cultivate that. And and maybe that's what I'm doing in some ways by going through this process. And uh, in fact, I I often like to write a book as I'm, you know, growing and learning a process. And and the the next book that I want to be writing is one that I call Doubtless, where how, how do we really live in this state of trust in life? And and I've had fits and starts of writing it because I'm like, I don't know yet. I, I got to figure that out. And it's a journey. But I feel like, man, what a what a aspirational way to live to where there is that deep trust that 
my needs will be met. I will be okay. I will not only survive, but find a way to thrive no matter what. You know, this is great. I love that you're you're going to write this book, and you'll be writing it while you're doing self inquiry about it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's my style too, Aziz. You know, it works. It's a yeah. good formula because you get you get a lot of good uh, data <laughs> from going in. Yeah, and I think my my next book um, is is going to be about triggers. You know, I'm triggered. You know, maybe that'll be the title. I'm triggered or something. But it's all the ways that life doesn't give you what you want. And it's going to be this very topic that you and I, and how how to bring a little more tender, loving care to the moments when life doesn't give you what you want. Because I think for me in later life, I actually thought that I trusted life. And I kind of, I know, I, I know, like all the things that you just said, I'll, I'll, I'll be I'll be fine as long as there's I don't live in a war zone. Frankly, I've I've often thought there's one there's one situation that I probably given who I am could not handle and that's bombs going off and you know bodies being blown apart. I could not handle being in a war zone. I'm I'm pretty sure of that for whatever reason. So that's that's like an honest assessment that I've I've said okay, I, if that ever happens in my town you know, heaven forbid, it's not likely, um, I would, I would have to find a way to check out of life, but mostly I've trusted myself. And now as I'm looking down the very last stage of life, because I'm 78 now, you know, that's pretty darn old. I'm realizing how much is still unhealed in me. And so my mission is to teach people all these little ways to integrate it with daily life, do continue to do the self-healing until the day you die. And you'll, and I'm, you know, I'm saying this to myself and, you know, and when you die, you might still have a whole lot of unfinished business mm. and just come, this is me being me coming to terms with this and, um, and teaching just my, you know, from my own journey, just like you're teaching from your journey. Mm. And in what a way it's it's such an inspiring and relieving realization, you know, it inspires. Yeah, of course, I want to keep growing because that's what I'm here to do. And of course, it doesn't end until my life's done, because that's what I'm here to do. And what a strange uh, fantasy we have of like some sort of static point where I get there. Yeah. There's no more issues, no more triggers, no more growth needed. I'm just done. And I think like sometimes people unconsciously uh, link maybe retirement to that or something like sailing off into the good night. And it's like then people get there and they're like, wait a minute, uh, that's still maybe even more stuff to work through now because I'm not as distracted with my work. And right. so I, I love that. And, and I want to circle back. You said about a vision of a world you want to live in. So, you know, yeah. th- you you want this is sort of like a it's an individual and then in individual teaching, you know, inspiring individuals to to do this ongoing work and what's the vision you have for a world if if more and more people do this kind of have this commitment to to healing and their own growth we can we can be present to each other's emotional pain we can see when somebody's in pain we can say oh you know let me listen to you uh, we can ask for help when we're in pain because the you know this conversation's mostly been about self-soothing and self-compassion but i think 
the other half of that is asking for help from others and offering our our loving attention to one yeah another. yeah and slowing down long enough if we if we can slow down with ourselves a little bit and go oh that's a that's one of those tender spots that I usually just run right past in the uh, in the achievement part of my life you know now that I'm more toward retirement I'll never retire but things have slowed down for me Aziz and so it has enabled me to feel the subtler aspects of human interaction and uh, so my my vision is a world where we all co-regulate each other that's the word that <laughs> marriage therapists use you know we need to co-regulate our partner and reassure them that they're okay and that we love them and that sort of thing mm. I love that. I'm glad that you brought that up because if your feelings are okay and your feelings don't scare me. You're, you know, could be in happy feelings too. You know? Yeah. Not just difficult, uh, painful feelings. So your feelings don't scare me because my feelings don't scare me. I've gotten closer to my own uh, tender feelings. Yeah, the show me everything you got, not just yeah. to the parts of yourself, but to the, all the parts of your your, you know, your friends and family and beloved and, and maybe even more extended, right? I mean, because as we grow in these capacities, we can offer that too. And that's that's what I continue to aspire to is like, how can I be that way with clients, with people on my team, with people I just met? Like, how do we bring that capacity? And I love that because that, that is a, you know, bring back to what you said about dependency in this kind of... Uh, I don't know, negative connotation we have with dependency in our culture and this myth of total independence, even though I like to do this with, with people when I'm teaching this, I'm like, well, we have this myth of independence, but did you eat breakfast this morning? You know, where, where did that food come from? I came from the restaurant. I came from the supermarket. It's like, where did that come from? And, and when you flushed your toilet, where did that go? And where does your garbage and everything, we're such an dependent on so many factors to just live every day. And, and, and instead of denying that, we can, uh, I love Dan Weil's term, which is skillful dependence, is really acknowledge this truth and know how to do it well and ask for help well and, and be vulnerable. And absolutely on this journey, I, I can't uh, stress enough how important it is to take that risk, you know, to share uh, with, like, for example, I'm in bed and I'm feeling these memories from when I'm six years old and, and share that with my wife say, here's what's going on for me, or reach out to a friend, hey, I'm feeling overwhelmed, or I'm, I'm scared about this thing, can we talk about it? And then being able to, of course, provide that for others as well. And I think that there's so many people, and so I'm so glad we're touching on this, that, that might be listening, who are like all about the self-soothing stuff, and will actually do it. But then when it comes to the risk and the vulnerability uh, of the co-regulating, the getting support from others, there can be a, another barrier to that. And I, I really love how you're saying that that's the self-soothing is only a piece of the puzzle. It's only half and it will only get us halfway there. And we got to step into also being in connection with others, real full contact with others. Yeah. So that's the vision of the world as a healing community. Hmm. I love that. I love that. And you know, there's, there's only, well, there's many ways that could come about, but one way to do that is to live it as you do and then to teach it. And I am once again just uh, delighted and so grateful and appreciative to have this conversation with, with you. I've read a number of your books. I highly recommend people 
find your books, read whichever ones seem the most relevant. I mean, Getting Real was a great starting one for me, but there's so many of truth and dating. Um, I'm really interested in this five-minute relationship fix one you have. Absolutely, the I am triggered. When you get that one out, I will be all over. So uh, I love the books, but this conversation, I mean, just so much uh, wisdom and ideas condensed in, in such a beautiful way. So thank you so much for sharing with us today, Dr. Uh, Campbell. So great talking with you, as always. So I love being in touch with you. Yeah. And so if people want to uh, know more, go further, keep learning from you, uh, where would you like to send them or steer them? Well, on uh, the homepage of my website, they can pick up a free ebook. It's about a 20-page ebook called Getting Real Confidence. So it's right, it's right in your domain there. That was, that was a book that I started, and I'm not sure when I'm going to finish it, but it's an excerpt from a longer book. But it does talk about getting more comfortable with your own emotional pain and takes you through that guided process that's also in the book, Five Minute Repair, Five Minute Relationship Repair. So go to my homepage, uh, just under the, um, the banner, it says uh, something about boosting, boosting your self-confidence. On the page, it says enroll here, and it should actually say click here, but then you'll be, um, Subscribe to my newsletter, and I also, which which tells the things that I'm up to, webinars, including a free group coaching call that I offer once a month on Tuesday afternoons. So um, you can stay in touch with me for free. I don't need, I you know, I don't need money anymore. <laughs> I just don't want to lose what I got. Yeah. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I actually went there as we were speaking and subscribed. So I will check that book out. Cool. And stay Fantastic. in touch with me, folks. That sounds I, good. I work with people about their triggers on my free uh, monthly class. Yes, absolutely. And I'm sure anyone listening could could get a sense of the, of the depth of understanding and skill you have with this. I mean, you've been doing it a long time. So uh, I encourage people to take advantage of, of that and, um, and continue to receive the benefits of your, of your life's work of not only helping people, but also of growing yourself, which I think gives you the, the depth and the understanding that you have. I don't think we get that understanding if not through really deep study of ourselves. So once yeah. again, thank you so much. And I look forward to speaking with you again soon. Likewise. That brings us to the end of the interview and right into our action step. Time for action, action, action. Well, there is quite a bit you could take action on based upon that episode. So I miss, uh, I'm curious from that interview, what, what are you going to do? What actions are you going to take? I mean, I think just to recap, there's really two key steps to self-love. And one is that self-reassuring, that self-soothing, that being able to go in and actually feel the part of you that is scared or hurting and really tenderly turn towards it. You know, show me everything you got. And then there's the sharing with other people. We can't just do this on our own. We're not an island. We're not a lone wolf. We need our pack. We need our people. We need our peers. We need our friends. We need our family. We need people. And it might not be with your literal family that you share this because maybe they're not as open, but who's your chosen family? Is it with a spouse? Is it with a partner, a lover, a friend, someone that you can share? And so that would be the next step. So maybe for you, it's the self-soothing and maybe it's also the co-regulating, the sharing with someone else. 
but you at some point you got to take that risk so when is now going to be a good time awesome thanks for joining me today i highly recommend you go pick up susan's book and of course if you have not gotten a copy of on my own side that is what this I mean, that's going to be perfect addition to what you're learning in today's episode so if this interested you you will absolutely love on my own side thanks for being with me today and until we speak again may you have the courage to be who you are and to know on a deep level that you're awesome Thanks for listening to Shrink for the Shy Guy with Dr. Aziz. If you know anyone who can benefit from what you've just heard, please let them know and send them a link to shrinkfortheshyguy.com. For free blogs, ebooks, and training videos related to overcoming shyness and increasing confidence, go to socialconfidencecenter.com.